Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to the Independent Republic and Santa Claus. That's right. Mike Graham couldn't be here today as he's doing a special cameo appearance as the Grinch in pantomime at the Quems Theatre in Tamworth. But I'm here instead to present some of my favourite moments from Mike's show from the past year. So let's delve into my sack and see what treats I have for you now. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Richard Murphy is political economist and director of Tax Research UK. I'm just puzzled as to why austerity was brought in. And if it was brought in in the way that people describe, uh, did it really work and why can we now give it up? Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. I'm not, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to be deliberately obtuse here. I honestly, genuinely don't understand what austerity was. I don't really understand what it's achieved. Uh, and if it did achieve something, uh, what is it exactly that it did achieve? Well, austerity was a deliberate attempt to squeeze the size of government. And it, in that sense, has worked. Government is smaller than it would have been. If is we it? look at the size of the UK's spend uh, by government in proportion to what is spelled spent elsewhere in Europe, for example, similar types of country. You know, of the 28 member states, we are 20th. We spend 33% of our total national income on government services, and there are many that spend more than 40%. We are down with the likes of, I don't know, Croatia, of uh-huh. Portugal and Romania. Doesn't so sound terribly austere to me, though, Richard, to spend over, you know, nearly a third of your income on government. Well, actually, I think you're completely wrong. I think we should spend vastly more on government because it's what people want. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. People well, want why why would you want to give the government any well, money can, at all? Can I have a, hang on, can I have a chance? You've invited me on. Don't worry, you'll be here for a long, long time, Richard. You'll have plenty of time to speak. Okay, don't well, get, don't get snitty already. We're only in two minutes. Can I answer them? Yes, please. Right. Austerity was a deliberate squeeze on government spending. Who have suffered? The poorest councils in the country. The council that has suffered the most is Blackpool. People in Blackpool have seen a massive cut in services. Who in society have suffered the most? The disabled have suffered the most. They have seen massive cuts in their support. So they now are very often simply left at home, unable to do anything. So when the government... Who also have suffered those with mental health issues because they simply don't get the support they now require. Who else? People who suffer crime because we simply don't have any police anymore to actually deal with most crimes. We've heard that vast numbers of crimes are now never investigated. Yeah, but you're just trusting... Richard, with respect to you, I'm just going to interrupt you. Richard, Richard, would you mind if I just interrupt you? Because we're having a conversation here. It's not just a one-way monologue, Okay. Now, you are trotting out all of the things that everybody trots out about how austerity has affected all sorts of people. But I don't really see how that one can be then described as working or two, where, where is the benefit that we've got? Because we've still well, borrowed... Hang on. Are you, right. you going to let me finish, Richard? Yeah. Well, I mean, the point is, is that we have, uh, we have borrowed massively during this period of austerity, which tells me that actually we've got ourselves into more debt as a government, so the idea of saving any money seems ridiculous. Well, we didn't. It didn't work. It's absolutely blatant. It was the wrong policy. Why didn't it work? Because, in fact, let's be quite clear about it, government spending is someone else's income. That is a fact. Yeah, the government has no money of its own. Yes, it does. All money is the government's. You try and uh, find a, a pound note which is not created by the government. No, no, no. But, I mean, it's not generated the by the government. No, the the government, government doesn't generate any money. Yes, it does. It creates all money. The, there is no money but government-created money. No, you I try have to find disagree. a pound that is not created by the government. Well, I have to disagree with you there, Richard. Well, you're because wrong. We, well, I'm not, actually, I'm not wrong, Richard. Wrong. No, you are trotting out some kind of lefty agenda, which no, does no, not no, suit no, me at all. Pure economic facts. This is what we teach students. This is what the bank... That's what the problem is. ...how money is created. Money is only created by banks under government licence and by government spending. And the government has any amount of money it likes because it has its own bank and it can create whatever cash it likes. And the point is that if the government spends money, it puts people to work. And putting people to work actually creates wealth. The idea that only people who work for the 
private sector create wealth is a complete nonsense. If you don't believe that people working for the NHS create wealth, next time you turn up in A&E and ask to be treated, they'll put you at the back of the queue and leave you there for as long as you like. That's what happens anyway. No, you're not. The point is they create value. But, Richard, so getting back to... Value, is, <coughs> value, Richard, is not the same as money, is it? You Rich, know that as well Rich, as I do. Richard, I would like to bring you back to the, the you know, Mike's central question, which is what did austerity do and has it worked? And you've said it, it's failed miserably. But actually, the government, the coalition government that first brought in austerity as a result of the huge financial crisis caused by the banks and the bank bailouts, yeah. faced with massive uh, debt and deficit, as far as the deficit's concerned, it has worked. It's been a remarkable <laughs> achievement that the deficit has come down as much as it has. Yes, overall debt is still stubbornly sticking at just below two trillion but deficit is massively down well deficit is massively down but let's look at the consequence of deficit being down we now have the lowest growth in europe we are actually the poor nation of europe the worst off growth why is that because our government has refused to spend and we need it to spend to keep people at work to stimulate growth well our our growth our growth hasn't been great but our unemployment figures are great and we have well, survived minute, better than most countries in the recession the most most of the growth in unemployment has been people who are now self-employed. We have seen a There's nothing wrong with being self-employed though, I is agree. there? Richard? I've been self-employed most of my life. There you go. Right. But that point is most of those people are actually earning less than minimum wage now. And that is Well then they won't be paying any tax into the exchequer, will they? Yeah, no, that's the whole problem, you see, that we actually have got a low growth, low wage economy that doesn't function. If we had an economy where the government invested in education, in training, in creating investment opportunities, in creating new employment opportunities, we would have high growth, people earning more, people paying more tax, people able therefore to support the economy better, and that would have been the consequence, and that's what the government I take it you're not in favour, Richard, of uh, a sort of, of, of an economy which uh, is, has a small government involvement in it, uh, which allows people to spend more of their own money, uh, which also creates an awful lot of growth and a lot of opportunity as well. An awful lot of small businesses are suffering under a Tory government, bizarrely. Well, no, hang on, Richard, you, you've had your turn, I'm going to have mine. The point about small businesses, small businesses create most of the work in this country, right? Most of the Most of the people are employed by small businesses. Small businesses are being strangled by red tape. Uh, they're having their VAT uh, going up, they're having all sorts of problems with taxation, and the government's collecting more and more money off them and wasting more and more of it. So that's why we are stagnating, not because uh, we're not collecting enough tax, but because we're collecting too much. No, you're simply wrong there. First of all, no, I'm not wrong. That's my opinion, Richard. OK, it's your opinion. But I'll tell you, because you know, I happen to be a professor of economics. True. Well, very good for you. But I'm also a chartered accountant, and I have been senior partner of a firm of chartered accountants, and I've been a director of many trading companies. Well, I'm astonished then, therefore, that, I'm astonished then that you think that the way forward is to give the government more of your money. Well, I know that as a person who ran real businesses and is still a director of real companies, I could never have done it without the support of the state because I needed the state to train people so that they would turn up so that they could do the job. I needed the state to support those people so that they were healthy, so they could come to work in the morning and didn't have to worry about how they were going to meet their health bills. I knew that I needed the state to provide those people with childcare so that they could come to work and decent education so that their children were cared for during the day. I know I needed the infrastructure that the state paid for. How much I money did the I state give you, Richard? Hang on, I needed regulation to make sure there was a level playing field. Are you sure you're an accountant? I needed... No, I needed that regulation to make sure it was safe to go and buy a coffee from a coffee shop because without regulation, it would not be safe to buy coffee from a coffee shop because I wouldn't know that they'd done their job properly. Are <laughs> you joking? You are joking now, aren't you? No, I am. You're doing a parody show it. now, Richard. This is ridiculous. What on no, earth are you talking about? how we live. We have to trust, and the only reason we can... I don't trust the government one inch, Richard, and anybody no, with any brains would agree problem. with me. If you don't trust somebody, how do you live in a society? I actually, like people, want to trust people, want to coexist with people, want to get on with them, and you're saying you want to live in a little isolated bubble by yourself. I won't find... You're probably in favour of staying in the European you. Union as well, are you, Richard? Sorry? Are you in favour of staying in the European Union yeah, as well? I'm in favour of staying in the European Union. Of course you are, yes. You tick every box that everybody ticks. I mean, it's ridiculous, Richard. How can you possibly argue uh, in favour of this government, which is hopeless, even whether it's being run by the well, Tories? Or, hopeless. Or, it's, hopeless. Oh, but hopeless. you trust them this to have your money and you want to give them more of it? I do believe... No, I don't want this government to have more money. Oh, I'm actually not saying which, which government, government would you like to? 
well, have in, I, in charge. I would like a government for which no party... Would you like to see there? Jeremy Corbyn in power? Because he'd well, take I even have, more I of it. Jeremy Corbyn, but I've actually also been deeply critical of Jeremy Corbyn, so let's be clear about that. OK. What I want is a government that would actually say, straightforwardly, we believe that if we spend money well and invest it wisely and we put it to use and create employment opportunities, this country will be better off. And if we tax fairly and make sure that everyone who owes their taxes pays it, we will create a level playing field in which competitive businesses can flourish in the UK, but we have not got that Well, let me give you a couple of examples of why this government should not be given any money. Uh, Frankly, one is called Crossrail and the other one is called HS2. That's just two that I've plucked out of the air. So why on earth, Richard, would would you want to give them any more money? They're now saying that austerity is over, so therefore we're all going to be better off. However, they still want more money off us. No, they should instead be building vast numbers of houses for young people who can't afford to buy their own, so we need social housing. So we should give them all free houses, should we? No, I'm not saying we should give them free houses. There's something called rent that they would be paying in exchange for that, but we need to actually build the housing because the private sector won't, so we have a crisis. We should be greening our economy. We should be ensuring that we become the world leader in tidal and wind power, which we could be. We should be actually ensuring that every house in the UK can be, should be insulated so that we're not dependent on oil, so that our children have a chance of a future where the planet hasn't burned. We could be doing all those things, and they will require government pump pump-priming money, and if we actually... Yeah, but what the point is, I mean, you made this... To take the lead. You made this rather fatuous point about the government making money, which, of course, no, they do. Money. Well, hang on, hang on, Richard. Government. Let me speak, please. You said that the government makes all the money that exists in this country, which is a rather fatuous point, as you well know. It was all about, it was all about printing... No, it was all about printing the money, OK? Everybody knows that the government prints the money. If you print money in your back garden, you're going to get arrested and charged with, you know, counterfeiting. Well, Yes, no, the government produces and manufactures money. It doesn't actually make any. The only money it gets is... No, the only money it makes... Richard, are you going to let me speak? Because I've asked you to do that more than once and you haven't acceded to my request. I've let you speak, so please give me the courtesy of allowing me to make my argument. The point is this. You do not have any money if you're a government unless you tax people who make real money, Okay, That's true, isn't it? argument is why that's not true. How were the banks bailed out? You know, a trillion pounds was used to bail out the banks. It was simply created by the Bank of England. Yeah, it wasn't actually real money, was it? Yes, it was real money, totally real money. The same as quantitative easing was used to actually basically provide liquidity to the banks. Where did it come from? It was simply created by the government, £435 billion, and it's real money. So it's complete nonsense to say the government can't do this. What you're getting confused about is that you think that money is the same as value. And of course no, I don't, know. actually. I've, I've already said to you they're two completely different things. You said that teachers produce money, and I, and I said, I said value is not the same thing, Richard. Hang on, you're saying that only the private sector can create value and that the government doesn't. That's not I what I said you. at all. That's a well, complete that's, misrepresentation well, then, of what I said. You cannot say the government can't create money. They can't create any money. They can only collect it. Do you think that the NHS is worthless? I don't. No, I didn't say it was, Richard. Well, therefore, you're willing to pay for it because it's got worth. Of course. Do you you think that education is worthwhile? If you do, you're willing to pay for it. Yes, of course. It doesn't mean it generates any money, though, Richard. Why not? It delivers money because you are willing to pay tax for it. Well, I'm not really given the option, to be honest. If you came to me and said, would you like to pay taxes or not, I might say, no, I wouldn't, actually, because you're going to waste most of the money and give it all away to the wrong people. Hang on, teachers and nurses and doctors, are they the wrong people? No, they're not, but there are plenty of other people who get money. For example, the Indian nation gets money when they shouldn't because they've got their own space programme and yet we give them millions and millions of pounds to do whatever they want with it. And let me also be honest, if I look at any company I've ever gone into and ever who's ever asked me for advice, and a lot have, I've always really? to say to them, yes, a lot have, I'm dealing with one right now, in between, you know, this conversation is taking place between talking to a private sector company... Make sure you tell them to pay as much tax as they possibly can. You have got your priorities wrong. You need to rethink what you're doing. Now, every single human-run organisation sometimes gets its priorities wrong. It doesn't mean you scrap the organisation. It means you change the priorities. You and I disagree on priorities. It does not mean government is a bad thing. And it doesn't mean that you're right and I'm wrong. And it doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong either. Yeah, but your logic is totally flawed that you're saying government is a bad thing and we don't want to pay it. Government does create... You've just admitted to me that government doesn't spend its money very well, and yet you'd like to give them more. I think the logical problem here... No, the logical problem is yours, not mine, Richard. 
the logical problem is that I said the government creates value because it clearly does, because teachers, nurses, doctors, fire people, um, police, and everyone else create value. So do to local authority officers, so do to people who actually also provide mental health services, and so does it also create value to support the elderly, simply with pensions and people... Yeah, but you've now changed your argument from money to value, so, I mean, you can't win on every single point, Richard. You have to admit they're both separate. All of value, and they do involve the payment of money and the expenditure of money. And so your argument that the government can't create and deliver value is just wrong. I'm sorry, it's just factually so, so inept, it's just very hard to understand how anybody can believe that the NHS does not create money. Because all those people who work in the NHS are paid and spend the money, and it's all done for public benefit, which we all appreciate. Yes, but Richard, I'm afraid you're never going to learn the lesson of life, which is that that money comes from people like me and people like you you. who pay income tax. Otherwise, there would be no money. There wouldn't be any, Richard. You know that as well as I do, unless you live in cloud cuckoo land up the top of a mountain. The government spends the money it creates and then taxes it back. And if it spends it wisely to the limit of the capacity of the economy, we are all better off. You're listening to Father Christmas in for Mike Graham. You know, me and Mike aren't different at all. We're both jolly portly men with bright rosy cheeks and surrounded by snowflakes. Coming up, I'll be presenting a special Best of the Perrier Awards. But first, let's hear one of my favourite clashes between Mike and a caller from this year. Yeah. Let's talk to Rudy, uh, who's in Exeter. Hello, Rudy. Hi, how are you doing? All right. Yeah, not bad. Hi, what do you want to say? Wish, um, it's just a, um, uh, a, a sort of uh, point of view that I have that you're getting all these people coming out saying how offensive it is and you're getting Muslims saying how offensive it is that Boris Johnson... Um, said about the birth and so on, but they don't seem to be... Well, you get quite a few Muslims agreeing with him as well, by the way. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, a lot of them, though, and the majority of them, I I would say, never come out and say they're offended when there's a terrorist attack or someone has been beheaded or the Rotherham. They never come out and say they're offended about that, which is fine. I I wouldn't say that's actually true, Rudy. I don't know which particular Muslims you're talking about, but generally speaking, um, the Muslim community... Uh, condemns all terrorist attacks yeah. whenever they happen. They say um, it. They they say it when when obviously people are kicking up a fuss. Well, no, they, they well, to, well, you can't have it both ways, Rudy. Well, hang on, Rudy, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say they don't say it, and then you say, oh, well, they do say it, but actually they don't mean it. No, hang on a minute. Let, let me finish what I'm saying. Well, the I am hanging on, mate. Out... I'm here till one o'clock. Don't worry. Okay. Well, well the only time they don't get don't get too worked up. You want to calm down, mate? Calm down. Cool down. Chill out, man. Okay. Yeah. I'm saying the only time. They only come out and say it when political people, people generally come out right. and cause us think about right, okay. it, but they're not doing anything. OK, so now. so you started off by saying, it. all right, hang on, Rudy. You started off by saying they don't say it. Now you're saying they do say it, but they only say it because they're being told to say it. The majority so don't. So which is it? Both, because they only do it because they're forced to do it. Right, so, so your original point was actually wrong then? Well, no, because... Well, it was, because you said they don't say it. Now you're saying they do say it. So what is it they don't say, which they now what, say? What, okay, well they're, they're paying lip service. They say it, but lip they don't service. mean it. Lip service. Okay. Yeah, they they say it, but they don't mean it. I see. Because so that's what I'm saying. They okay. Say it, How do you know they don't mean it? Because they don't do anything now to stop it. They still let. Well, what are they meant to do to stop it? They only come out. Sorry, calm down, really. Keep calm, mate. Listen. What are they supposed to do to stop it, mate? Well, for a start, kick out the. For, for a start, the people that are preaching it in the mosque of hate speech and all this stuff, that they're radicalising people, uh-huh. they should come out and expose them and report them to the police. Who should? The people within within those mosques that are hearing that, that happening. Well, haven't, they they have, well, they have done that they in, do in do some that. cases, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, when was the last time you heard it do it and it's still happening? And you hear about these people... When was, the last, when was the last time you heard of a hate preacher inside a mosque? Recently, actually. Where? Recently, Where? in Birmingham. In Birmingham. In Birmingham. Which mosque was it? I haven't got that to hand ah. because no. But if you don't okay. ask me that question in advance, right. like you are prepared. Well, you to rang me, Rudy. I mean, if you're not yeah. prepared to make an argument, then it's not my problem. Is I it? am prepared to make an argument. Well, you and can't. You haven't got any facts, though. Uh, well, there are plenty of facts if you actually sit down and look at them. Well, I, could, I would sit down and look at them, but you're not providing I mean, them to I me. I mean, the thing is this, right? Yeah, right. If you, go, if you go to Saudi Arabia or any of those countries... Any of those countries? Like what, church, well, what does you, that mean? You, you see how long you last? Hey? 
I said, I said, I said, if, I said, all those countries. Which in countries? The Middle East, Which ones? Okay, Saudi Arabia, Dubai. Saudi Arabia, Dubai is not a country. Well, no, it's a state. It's an Arab state. It's an emirate, actually. Yeah, yeah, my brother lives there, so I know what goes on there. Oh, do have you been there? Yeah, several times. So you got you got there, you managed to live there and come back. So that was all right then. Yeah, because I abided by their rules. Okay. Which are what? I abided by their rules. And the fact is this, right? Like my brother is a Jehovah's Witness. Is he? He is not allowed to actually say anything about it out in Dubai. It's against the law. He'd be banged up. Well, he's not allowed to have a blood transfusion either. No, he isn't. Yeah, well, no, that's, that's his choice, choice, isn't it? Well, that's his choice. Well, what's but he doing in Dubai then? Else. Well, what's he going to Dubai for? Work. Right. Well, why did he go there if he thought it was going to be dangerous? To work, because he can't get a job in this country, because there are no jobs in this country. Right. right. For his okay. expertise. Rudy, I'm just getting the impression you did just over keen on Muslims. He's a bit angry, though. No, 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 it's not a question of that. What I Seems don't angry. like... No, I'm not angry. What I don't like is I get fed up with the mainstream media. The mainstream media? Here we go. Yeah. What do you call yeah. the mainstream all, all, media, then? Always saying... Hey? Would you stop shouting, Rudy? It's, it's, What's wrong with you? OK. Let's Calm say, down, racist. mate. Calm. It's racist. It's Islamophobic. You're, you know, you don't like foreign. It's got nothing to do with that. And it's always the lefties that are always pushing that because people lefties. want to speak out of what concerns them. You seem to be like a parody. Are you sure this is not some kind of parody you're doing? No. You're like <laughs> a parody. Definitely not. Back on the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. yeah but back to the Edinburgh Fringe. You don't like the mainstream <laughs> media. You don't like um, mosques and imams preaching hate. You don't like uh, uh, Dubai. You don't like... Um, I what know else you don't like? like Dubai. I said, what I said was is that you have to abide by the rules when you go there. Yeah. So therefore, then, that should happen in, within here as well. Well, well, it, if you're well it does happen Sharia here. Law, for instance. Well, which no, laws are you talking about? Sharia law. Well, which no, laws... We've got Sharia law courts. We haven't got Sharia law courts. Yes, we have. Oh, really? Where's your nearest yes, Sharia law have. court? Where's your nearest Sharia law court in Exeter? Um, they're, they're doing it in London and the... And the, the oh, doing in London. Are, that London. Yeah. Well, what about in Exeter? Say again? Where's the one in Exeter? I have no idea because I'm not a Muslim. Oh, right. So if you're not a Muslim, you don't care about Sharia law then, do you? Yes, I do. Why? Because because it doesn't affect you. The only one law. It doesn't affect you. Of this country. We do only have one law in this country. Rudy, we only have one law in this country. It's called the law of the land, right? Which has got nothing to do with Sharia law. The Sharia law will not affect. Sharia law courts. Sharia law, mate, will not affect your life at all. It does affect. How does it affect your life then? Yes, it does. Because how? I think because what happens is is that the government bury their head in the sand whenever there's a problem, if it, if it's racially related to a Muslim or so on, and they turn a blind eye. What do you mean? Turn the other way. Well, like what do you mean? Well, Rotherham, for example. Rotherham. Rotherham, as a, as a classic example. Well, Rotherham is, is is being the... raped and so on. Yeah. And it was only pressure. They uh-huh. just let it go. So what's happened to all go. of those people in Rotherham that were grooming children? What's happened to them? Not all, yeah, only because what's happened? Yeah, what well, hang on. Places, what's what's happened to them? On. What's happened to them, Rudy? Yeah, they got minimum sentences. Did they get deported? No. no. There, are, there are some who are being deported, actually. Funnily yeah, but enough. not all of them. Not all of them. It was in the news today that some of them are being and, deported. And the councils knew about it. The yeah, but they've all been tried. It, they've all they gone did... through the court system. Yes, because they were found out. Well, Otherwise, they well, would yeah. have let it go. Well, that's what happens when you find out more. that there's a crime that's going on. I mean, you know, there might be somebody, there might somebody rob, be robbing your house right now, but when you find out about it, you tell the police, they get arrested. That's the way no, it works. The police do, actually, if you're talking about that, the police do nothing about robberies. I had £20,000 worth of musical instruments stolen. Really? And they knew who did it, and I knew who did it, uh-huh. and the police let him go. Was really? It, was it a Muslim by yeah. any chance? No, he wasn't, actually. <laughs> but he wasn't English. Put it that way. Where was he from? Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe? Blimey. Yeah. God, it's a dangerous place down in Exeter, by the sounds of it. But thanks for your call, no, I, Rudy. I lived, in, I lived in Eastern Europe for eight years, actually. It's not that bad. Oh, you in lived fact, in Eastern Europe as well? Yeah, in fact, you get around, don't you? Uh, hang on. In fact, the foreign... What do you mean, hang on? No, Europe cut is... this guy off. I've got enough of him. Thank you very much indeed. Don't tell me to hang on, mate. It's my show. <laughs> Idiot. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm Father Christmas, in for Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And now, it's time for this... The 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Ha <laughs> ha! It's time for myself to host a very special Christmas version of the Perrier Awards, where I'll be looking back over the past year of the so-called Independent Republic. So let's find out who's been the best of the best this year. As is tradition, the first Perrier has to go to the man himself, Mike Graham. He wins the Perrier for Campist Reaction of the Year. Can you please deliver it tomorrow? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Or I'm just going to have to And what if they can't? I'll have to try and squeeze it in my car somehow. Oh, God. Talk Radio's political editor, Ross Kempsell, wins the award for Best Metaphor of the Year for the time he set the scene from Westminster's College Green. Well, I'm just watching the sunlight filter through the trees now on a rather chilly morning in Westminster and landing on the side of the Palace of Westminster, and I wonder whether the Chancellor will be bringing any sunshine today. That's the key question. We're heading back to Budget Day, where Mike picked up the perrier for Best Double entendre. Philip Hammond, of course, you'll hear right here, live on Talk Radio, coming up at 3.30, uh, unveils uh, the contents of his red box. <laughs> of course, to join Mike on the Independent Republic, there is a certain level of intelligence required. Fortunately, Dawn Neeson had that level of intellect when she won the fact of the year. Arsenic. Arsenic, That's yeah. sort of poisonous. Well, it is, yeah. However, that level of intelligence is not as high as you may expect. So I'm afraid Dawn also wins this year's Perrier Award for the over-your-head moment. And finally, one from Lizzie, uh, who says, Your co-presenter Dawn defined man-hating as misandry. Is that from the Greek andros, andron, androgen? Um, uh, what about philandering? You what, love? And who also wins the Perrier Award for the most Mike Graham sentence? Why, it's Mike Graham, of course. The National Infrastructure Commission, which is another one of these quangos I've never heard of until today, run by a load of do-gooders who want to tell us how we should run our lives. The British Dental Association are a very clever bunch of people, but they're also good at spelling things out, making things clear, speaking in layman's terms. This guest wins the award for clarification of the year. The British Dental Association have said that, they, that the tests are, are only accurate to within four years, so basically they are accurate to within four years. Regular caller Mike in York fancies himself as a bit of a comedian. He wins the Perrier for punchline of the year. When I was listening to Jeremy Corbyn, I thought, you know, I was going to get, like, free TV and <laughs> licence and free bus pass and, yeah. you know, free, free dentistry. Yeah. And all I got free was house. free Palestine. <laughs> Rachel Jewell is one of my favourite talk radio newsreaders. She is so clear and straight-laced, nothing faces her. She wins the Perrier for Newsreader of the Year. A member of Russian protest group Pussy Riot. Motoring journalist and friend of the show, Quentin Wilson wins the next award. It's the Worth the Wait Award. A bit of controversy about the the sort of planned site that they're doing for that. Have you have you seen those plans, or whether you'll you'll think they'll they'll work on the roads? Oh, I think I might have lost. No, nope, we might have Is lost Quentin. Never mind. Not to worry. <laughs> maybe uh, it was me saying it was an unfair question. <laughs> yes, well, maybe that's right. But uh, we've almost come to the end anyway. Quentin, thank you very much indeed. Quentin Wilson, uh, a fair fuel campaigner as well uh, as motoring a journalist. We'll have uh, take some calls on that as well, please. Oh three. Uh, oh, sorry, Quentin's back. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's finish yeah, it. Sorry. 
What was so the question? So the question is about the expressway, yeah? Yes, which, which was announced, the, the site of it between Oxford and Cambridge um, was announced yesterday at this conference. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the plans. No, not really, because I haven't heard that announcement. Our lovely friend, talk radio presenter Daisy McAndrew, wins the next Perrier. She wins the award for facing the struggle of the year. I've got an etiquette question to ask you. Have we got time? Go on. Just thinking about the new au pair. He oh, yeah. is delightful, absolutely Are you lovely. expecting me to no have complaints. etiquette uh, advice? Well, it's sort of, it, it's a modern <laughs> thing, as in she's absolutely lovely, mm. beautiful manners, all the rest right. of it. But she is on her phone yeah. in the kitchen mm. on sort of not just to having a conversation, but a FaceTime conversation. So, you know. Oh, so you're hearing everything I'm hearing and said. seeing. So if I'm walking behind yeah. her, whoever it is she's talking yeah. to, you know, is looking at, yeah. at me. And, all right. and I find it really uncomfortable. Yeah, who is she talking to? Mostly her boyfriend. Okay. There you go again with your first world problem. I did love listening to Daisy on the Independent Republic this year. I also loved how clear she was. In fact, she wins the Perrier for Explanation of the Year. Now, I've got nothing against do-gooders. They do good. This moment, during a handover with Matthew Wright, earns Mike the Perrier for ensuring he won't get a pay rise. And then uh, the boss who thinks that we're all too thick to understand his pay? Is that the boss here? We should give a word to the producers who have worked extremely hard booking all of the guests this year. This one has won the Perrier for the most exclusive guest on the show this year. 0344 499 1000. There's lots more to talk about, including uh, the new royal baby coming next live from Australia. Mike has proved this year that he is ever the cunning linguist. He wins the Perrier for pronunciation of the year. Aya Fatla Yogurt. Uh, apparently, that's how you say it in Icelandic anyway. It doesn't spell like that, of course. It looks like Ayafjallokul. Professor Noel Sharkey was another great guest we had on this year. He won the Perrier for shortest interview of the year. Let's talk to Noel Sharkey, Emeritus Professor uh, of AI uh, and Robotics from the University of Sheffield. Noel, very good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, Noel. Is you it, can explain it, this story better than we can. Is it officially the end of the moral dilemma? No. Roving reporter Alex Dibble diligently investigated all manner of stories for us this year. Most memorably would have to be Jeremy the Beluga Whale who was found on the River Thames. During one of several reports across the week from Bankside, Mr Dibble won the Perrier for Word Orderer of the Year. As the water gets deeper in the estuary, that's encouraging it to find even colder water and, and go straight back out to the sea. Mm. Uh, whereas when it gets shallower, then the warmer gets water and then it doesn't like it so much. One of my favourite callers into the independent republic has to be Susan in Exeter. I'm very pleased to announce that she has won the Perrier Award for Noise of the Year. To have their baby. Now, we're not going to turn them away. You can't turn a heavily no. pregnant lady I mean, away. that is a true story. I certainly know of, of, of at least two people that work for me. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, two, two people that, that... And finally, to finish off the year of Perrier Awards, let's give one last nod to the man of the hour, Mike Graham. He wins the award for best summary of his own show. We've run massively over time uh, with that ridiculous argument. Lisa O'Sullivan, thank you very much indeed. TalkSport's tennis correspondent <laughs> will bring you some more nonsense in the next hour. That's all from this year, but I'm very pleased to announce that the Perrier Awards will return in the new year. The 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Now, as you'd expect, Mike Graham is on my naughty list. In fact, I give him several lumps of coal each year. <laughs> but there's one person who wouldn't like that. Legendary environmental campaigner George Monbiot. Here he is falling out with Mike. Now, let's get straight to the heart of the matter because we've yes. got George Monbiot waiting uh, to come on to talk to us about uh, something he's been tweeting about quite vociferously this morning, and that is his view that uh, the climate change problem now is so severe that it has to be dealt with not just by people giving up stuff like plastic bags and diesel, mm. but there has to be some kind of political m m machine and political movement begun. And, 
anew to make us all kind of, you know, buckle under and do the right thing. Because this latest warning is coming from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They say urgent and unprecedented changes are needed to reach a new target, uh, which should be a maximum of 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, in terms of the, the amount the, the planet should be allowed to heat up by to lessen the risks of drought, floods, extreme heat and poverty for hundreds of millions of people. George, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. You're quite specific in your tweeting this morning about why you believe that uh, that what has been done up to now is not good enough. Forgive me for being slightly uh, suspicious of this intergovernmental panel, but my problem with them is that they don't do their own research. They just kind of collate other people's research, which in the past has led to them being criticised for all sorts of reasons. Now, I know that they've got a reason for raising this problem and make, making us discuss it, and I'm very happy to discuss it, but can we get to the truth rather than the propaganda? Well, well, offset, collating other people's research is exactly what they're there to do. But the people who are collating it are themselves scientists and researchers who have done a lot of the research themselves. So they're collating their own research then? Well, uh, and that of thousands of other researchers across thousands of papers. This is trying to get the best overview they possibly can of the state of the science. And that means a huge amount of reading, a huge amount of reviewing, a huge amount of collating to come up with a summary of what's going on. Sure. But, of course, the difficulty with all of that, and it's been pointed out many times, I'm sure, uh, to you in the past, is that because they've got so much stuff to look at and it moves so quickly, the, the, the thinking and the science on climate change, that they can't always be as up-to-date, perhaps, as they ought to be. Well, that's certainly true, and that's true of all science, of course. You know, it's a constant scramble to catch up and to, to know what, what, what the latest data is saying, and there's no difference here. But unfortunately, in this case, events are overtaking us. So, you know, even as we say, right, our understanding of things is this, voomph, we've got a whole load of forest fires, wildfires, of heat waves, of Arctic ice melting, which means, oh, my gosh, we've got to revise our understanding We've got to study what's happening now. And what we keep finding is that events are going beyond what the scientists have been predicting. It's been happening faster. It's been going further. You know, years ago, people like myself were were called scaremongers. We were told, oh, all this stuff about the Arctic ice melting, about wildfires, about heat waves. You're just trying to scare us. And we were talking about this stuff happening by 2050. We're well, I mean, one now. of the things that, that, that the, the panel has said might happen is that Himalayan ice caps or Himalayan glaciers will melt by 2035, which, which I think they've now sort of pulled back on slightly. I mean, the difficulty is well, here, well, George. Well, I've said, Mike, they, they acknowledge that that was a fundamental mistake caused by a transcription error. They actually, um, um, a, a figure uh, got mangled while being moved from one place to another, and they ended up with, yes, it was a nonsensical claim, yeah. but... But the problem with things like... But they the prob- immediately owned that and recognised that and said, um, obviously, we got this wrong. No, of course, but the problem with that, George, is that people then have a slightly less trusting kind of uh, take on, on what it is that they come out with in the future. And also, when, when you say things like, you know, we need to sort of um, accelerate the pace at which we change our own lifestyles, I mean, I would imagine I'm not the only one who lives in Britain who thinks that we've already quite accelerated the change in our lifestyles in as much as even 10 years ago, you know, we didn't have the kind of uh, environmental laws in place that we have now. We had far more emissions going on. We we had no bike lanes anywhere. We had loads of plastic bags being given to us free in supermarkets. You know, we have changed quite a lot of things over the course of time. It doesn't feel to me like we're not doing enough. Well, the question is, are we doing enough to actually prevent this existential crisis that we're now faced with? And we, you know, the science is very clear. The maximum we can afford to heat the planet is one and a half degrees centigrade. We've already gone beyond one degree. Um, this requires massive and urgent action, which goes way beyond the pathetic measures we've taken so far. Well, you see, you say and that you call them pathetic. But you call them pathetic. I mean, London is now at a pretty much a standstill because of the uh, the bike lanes that have been put into this city. No, right? London's at a standstill because too many people are driving cars into it. Well, people drive cars into London for a reason. The, you know, the train systems are no use. The, the, you know, the trains are on well, strike. You can't get on the train. needs to be addressed. You know, we need much better public Yeah, well, we need also fewer we cycle need... lanes. No, no, obviously, every everyone on a bicycle is reducing the space being taken up on the roads, you know, if if you can travel feel like that. on a vehicle, oh, said, right. if you can travel on a vehicle you can lift with one hand rather than inside a ton of metal and get there faster, because generally 
bicycles are much faster crossing cities than cars are, you are actually reducing the amount of space required for someone to move through the city. But George, I think I, I think reason. you and Mike would probably both agree that no matter how many bikes were introduced, no matter how many cars were taken off London streets, that would not make any difference at all to the size of the crisis that you are talking about. So what are the answers? Right. It would make a small difference, but the bigger difference is, number one, we must leave fossil fuels in the ground. That is the most fundamental thing. Stop digging them up, stop burning them. And that requires a total energy transition, moving out of the old-fashioned dinosaur um, forms of energy, the fossil fuels, into the new forms of energy, renewables and all the rest. Um, But it also means saying there are planetary limits. And we've got to live within those limits. They've been quite well described by scientists now. They call them the planetary boundaries. And rather than pursuing endless growth, we should pursue well-being. That should be our aim. But again, isn't there a massive divide here between the developing world and their use of fossil fuels and the developed world and our use of fossil fuels? Yeah, we use far more. We use far more. um, Yeah, but ours is going down and theirs is going up. Yeah, but, but nothing is going to change if the, the rich nations, which have already enjoyed this great fossil fuel bounty, don't demonstrate that they're going to make the massive transition which is required. And other countries, if they don't do that, other countries are going to say, well, why the hell should we do anything if you guys, having profited so much from polluting the planet and burning the fossil fuel reserves, aren't even going to make the drastic changes yourselves? But one of the problems, for example, of the developing nations becoming more developed is a great there's a great example in India where many more people are now uh, in a position to buy air conditioning machines because it's very, very hot in India. And where they couldn't buy them before they didn't have enough money. Now they can. And they're creating massive pollution as a result of that. But would you call that more modernizing of the of of the economy and and a kind of a, a dragging up from, you know, poverty into being middle class? Or would you call that dangerous? Well, I, I call it both. <laughs> well, yeah, but you can't do that, you see. There's no sitting on the fence on this show, George. No, 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 it's not sitting on the fence. I mean, you know, the radical position is saying, look, we have to pursue well-being. We have to make sure that people's needs are met without cooking the planet, without destroying the conditions which allow human beings to sustain their lives, without ensuring that our children have got nothing to look forward to, without trashing the planet for all the other species that share it with us. We, we have to find ways of making sure that you know, we do have well-being, that we have enough to, f- to feed ourselves, that we have good houses, that we have our basic needs met without succumbing to greed, the greed that actually pushes us over the brink and makes it impossible to have even our basic needs met. But that's where we where, where we have the quandary, isn't it, in a way? Because in some parts of the world, you know, they are absolutely going full speed ahead, uh, like in China, building power stations, coal-fired uh, or otherwise. They're still looking for oil and gas. They're still exploring parts of the world where they can, uh, you know, basically sort of exploit their mineral wealth and all of that. And whereas we are being told constantly all the time that even though we are making quite a lot of sacrifices in this country, we're paying a green tax to all of the energy companies, we're f- finding it much more difficult to drive diesel cars, we're finding it much more difficult uh, to be able to build the kinds of power stations that they're doing in China. We can't build any more airports. You know, we're suffering here uh, and everybody else is having a great time. Well, I don't think we're suffering much from not having coal pollution, number one. But number two, this they-we thing... Well, now being told we can't misleading. burn wood either. Whoa, 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 whoa. I this they-we thing is completely misleading because where are we getting our manufactured products from? From China. And, and if you look at the... Um, the emissions which we sort of dump overseas and say, oh, that's China's um, fault, that's China causing those. But the ones that we're commissioning through the things that we buy, it's over 50% of all the greenhouse gases that we cause is caused by the stuff we buy from other countries. And so you can't just divide it up and say, oh, it's the Chinese doing this. We are intimately involved with what the Chinese are doing. Yeah, but the Chinese economy is being built on that, on those sales. I mean, are you saying that the Chinese should not become uh, a modern economy? Uh, absolutely, they become a modern economy, but a modern economy is not a coal-fired economy. That's an 18th century technology. Well, tell, well tell them that then. Well, well uh, number one, we do. And number two, they actually tend to be a lot more receptive to that than most people in this country are. And it's quite amazing the transition that's taking place in China. Sure, there's still a lot of bad stuff going on, but they are moving towards like, an electrified oh, wait, whoa, 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 an <laughs> electrified mass transit system, for example, 
so much faster than we are. In some ways... That's because they can build things much faster than we can, George, as you well know, because they use slave labour, uh, they mistreat their workers, and they are completely and utterly oblivious to shooting people in the head if they don't like what they think. Uh, do you think I'm endorsing any of that? Of well, I don't not. know, but, I mean, there's a reason why they can build <laughs> things a lot quicker than us. Yeah, no, no, well, listen, no, we, we are perfectly capable of doing that. When the US entered the Second World War, right, um, uh, it turned the whole economy around on a dime. You had um, the big auto manufacturers switching from civilian car manufacturing to turning out planes, amphibious landing craft, tanks, all the rest of it, in a month. We can, and that was before um, digital um, technologies and just-in-time production. If we wanted to, within a democracy, within the constraints of our current economy, we could turn the whole thing round immediately. What's lacking is not dictatorship or shooting people in the head or all the things which you seem to think are lacking. What's I didn't lacking say they were lacking, George. They'll be naughty now, because I'll have to pull you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> But George, you you mentioned um, you know obviously China is one extreme, and then you've got the the states as another one, where which is similar to us in that people just don't want to talk about it; they find it very boring. And I think it was an article you read where you said that the American networks, the TV networks, uh, talked about climate change for a total of four hours uh, across you know the whole year. And I think I think we as sort of journalists or you know radio people, we know that actually most people find it quite a turn off talking about this subject because you're either a denier or you're you know you're you're on your side of the fence but there's a huge number of people in the middle who just do a general shrug about it how do you get over that yeah, well the media has been completely useless i mean it's not just that um they've scarcely been covering it at all but when they do they do so so badly that indeed it does turn people off there are all sorts of really powerful stories to be told not just about what's happening, but also about the initiatives which people are doing to try to get out of this mess. Uh, you know, really exciting new ways of generating energy, new technologies, um, uh, the incredibly powerful campaigns of the kind we're seeing, for example, in the Handbacher Forest in, in Germany, where these amazingly brave young people, one of whom has already died, sitting in the trees, um, trying to defend this forest against attempts to dig the whole thing up for an open-cast lignite mine, lignite being the dirtiest form of coal of all. Now, if that's not a good story and a big story, I don't know what is. But where's the media? Do we hear about this on the British media? We don't. Well, but, well George, because, 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 no, because, because no, the media's not part of the problem at all. The problem is people get fatigued at listening to warnings all the time, which turn out not to be true. And in the end, whether, whether it's because we're not... This, hang on, well... They're, they're not... Uh, if, if, if the warnings have been wrong, it's because they've actually haven't been severe enough. Well, we, no, you know, my point, George, is this: which we were expecting no, but, to face in 2050. No, but my point is, is that the the, the, the the climate change lobby has kind of kiboshed itself by continually making predictions, which may or may not have come true. But the point is, it's not. A, I'm not talking about the incidents. We've been making uh, predictions which have already come true. Well, you you're we're saying kiboshing ourselves by making true predictions. Well, I mean, if you'd let me finish, you might be able to understand my point. My point is that actually, people can't see very far into the future. People don't know what's going to happen in 2050. Right? They can't even envisage what that will look like. They can't even imagine what five years down the road is going to look like. They don't even know what kind of car they're going to drive. And most people, generally speaking, are not fanatics, OK? They need to be persuaded gently. And unfortunately, the people who are trying to persuade them are not persuading them gently enough. So you've got it all wrong. And you don't have to uh, be a genius to work that out. Right. Now, listen, Mike. We in the environment movement have have absolutely racked our brains about this. What is the best way of talking about this? Do we go in harder? Do we go in softer? Uh, do, uh, should we be more pro-business? Should we be more anti-business? Should we emphasise this, emphasise that? And you know what we discovered? There is no right way of talking about it because a lot of people simply don't want to hear. You know, people are resistant to change. We, we succumb to this thing called system justification, which where we just basically justify whatever the system happens to be. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, people say, oh, they want to take something away from us. Well, you know, obviously, there are certain bad things we can't do anymore. People don't like being told how to live their lives, George, because we live in a modern democracy where you're not supposed to have to do that. Well, well, listen, we in the environment movement are in no position to tell people anything. We're in a position to argue and to advocate, which is what I'm doing right now. But I'm, I'm, I'm not a political leader. 
I can't boss people around. I can just say this is the way we ought to live. And the yeah, media but what gives you the right to say be... that, George? Why? What gives you so, the right so what, to tell anybody else how right. they ought to live? So, sorry, sorry. What gives? What, what says anyone shouldn't have that right? Are you saying that we should ask free? I don't have an overarching okay. need to tell other people what to do. Okay, I believe no, that people. Are you saying I don't have the right? Are you saying I don't have the right to say what changes should be made? No, I, I don't think you have the right because to tell people... No, hang on. That, you are fundamentally anti-democratic. No, I'm telling you that you don't have the right to tell other people how to live. No, that's not a right. If you want to do it, you'll have to take the consequences of not bloody listening to you. Yeah, but listen, listen I, I, as I said, all I'm doing is saying this is what we need to do. Yeah, but why should I we believe you, though? Anyone. Well, that's your choice. You don't. You, you, I mean, there I'm used to be a guy that walks up and down Oxford me. Street wearing a, wearing a billboard that said, "The end is nigh." I didn't listen to him either. But George, well, but, but, but Mike, why is okay, it any different? If, if you believe that anyone, if you believe that anyone who's saying, "Look, this is the way we're heading," is comparable to some bloke with a sandwich board outside Oxford Street, well, it's the same well, effect. Then, then, then that reflects on you, mate. Not well, it on doesn't. me. It doesn't reflect on me, mate. Uh, in it fact, does. It, it, it suggests it suggests, Mike, that you just dismiss anyone who says we need a better way of living. No, I'm not saying that. I just don't like being told what to do, George. And I'd like to know well, what I'm not people. Not telling you what to do. We've been through that. Well, you're telling me how what I ought to do, which is the same thing. Yes, exactly. I am. I am telling. I'm, I'm but I don't believe you have. I don't do, believe you have that superior right to tell me because your way of living is better than mine. Including my look, I tell myself what to do. You know, we're, we're trying to change the world here, and if we can't advocate, no, you are democracy. Listen, listen, Mike. If we can't advocate in a democracy for a better way of living, then democracy means nothing. And if you are saying that people like me should not speak out, that's then not what you I are said. profoundly anti-democratic. That's not what I said. Do not understand, I never said that. You do not understand the basis of free speech. I never said that. I've just had you on my radio show for 20 minutes. I think that's hardly shutting you. you down, George, is it? You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you haven't I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying that you yeah, don't have the having, right to do it. Having heard me, that, you see this is where your contradiction arises. It's not a contradiction. I'm 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 ultimately a very democratic person. Let me finish. Let me finish. You've given me 20 minutes to talk about it, and then you said you've got no right to talk about it. I didn't say you have no right to talk about it. I said, yes, what? Well, that's you, exactly that's what you said. not what I said. Well, then how can you, you be... No right to, to, well, how can you make that argument? You've just been telling it. How can you make you the argument? No right, you've got no right to tell us the things that I've just spent 20 minutes telling you. I didn't say that. You, I mean, you I thought you were a bright guy, George. You surely can understand exactly the difference. You, you surely can understand exactly the difference. No, said. I said, you don't have the right to tell people how they ought to live. That's not the same yeah, as me saying you can't say it. Yeah, and you've just given me 20 minutes to tell people how they ought to live. No, no, no. Anyway, I'm taking your, your, I'm like, taking like, your you view, off, George. You can, go off, you can go off and sort out your own contradictions, but if you want to carry on talking about climate change, we can do that. OK, well, I think I'll let you go, George. Thanks very much indeed for the offer. George Monbiot, who is a fundamentally undemocratic person, clearly, because he doesn't believe that other people have a view which is different to his, which is just as valid.